This message was recorded live at Plantation Seventh-day Adventist Church in Plantation, Florida. Welcome to PlantationSDA.tv. Here you will find a diverse variety of Bible-based topics and conversations. God's master plan to inspire your mind, bring peace to your heart, and uplift your soul. May you be blessed and encouraged as you listen to God's Word. Heavenly Father, Lord, as I break your word open today, Father, I ask that you anoint my lips and and give me the strength to say what you have placed on my heart, Father. May you open up our hearts and minds to receive you, and let me just be a vessel for you. In your name, amen. So at heart, I'm an adventurous person. I used to, as a teenager, jump off high places into water. There's a place called Waimea Bay in Hawaii. Big, huge rock. Um, And you climb up to the top and you jump. And then when I was 16, we're on a choir trip and I swam out. There's a place too there where you, there's these large, long, tall pillars in the water. You got to swim all the way out to it. My friend and I want to jump off. And the only way to get down once you climb up is to jump off. And then I went home and told my parents about what I did. And she's like, were you waiting to be brought home in a body bag? I said, no, Ma, Jesus got me. And then, you know, behind our church, if you follow a fence and you go through a hole and you bypass the signs that say warning, danger, leptospirosis may be in the water, there is a little waterfall that you can jump off there too. And I did. Now, today, as a parent, if my kids were to tell me that they do the same thing that I did, yeah, they'd be grounded. But that was me, very sure in the surety of my heavenly father. Very sure of his protection. It is this same sureness that would take my mom and I through New York before we landed at Newbold for my very first year there, my first gap year as a student. And we hear all, you know, you hear all the stories in the 80s and 90s of how bad New York is. Sorry for those of you who are from New York. I'm sorry. This is stuff that comes to us in Hawaii. And so one day we need to get a coat and the cab, uh, the hotel said, we'll call you a cab to take you over to Manhattan, 20 minutes away to Burlington Coat Factory. It sounded so exciting. Never heard of one before. We don't have that in Hawaii. So we got in the cab that the hotel called and this cabbie said 30 bucks for this ride, but then this ride turned into an hour and 20 minutes of driving us round and around, possibly hoping to get the tab up, but then he started driving us through broken neighborhoods, and I knew there were bad neighborhoods because there were no lights on in the houses, and the windows were cracked, and wood was, you know, nailed into them, and my mom in Ilocano was saying, we're going to end up on the front page of a newspaper. And she was quivering beside me. And so in my silent prayer, I then rebuked the cabbie. And I said, hey, 
I know we're, we're supposed to go to Burlington and you're supposed to keep this tab at 30 and they know who you are. The hotel knows who you are, so get us there. He eventually didn't get us to Burlington. He got us to Sears, but kept our tab at 30. So that shook my mom up while instilling in me another notch for confidence in God, which then would serve me uh, a year after as my friend and I decided to take a trip to Edinburgh. We pull into Edinburgh Station on the bus at five in the morning, and she's been used to sleeping in hostels, not me. And she said, don't worry, when, when we wake up, we're gonna go to the hostel, but it's too early. And I distinctly, uh, when I woke up a little bit later, I woke up to see an elderly gentleman looking down at us with pictures in his hands. And I remember talking to Armando the night before. He's like, Jen, don't go off with anybody strange. And so he said, girls, you looking for a place to stay? And I said, no, we have a place. And so my friend was like, oh, yes, we're looking. And I, no, no silent slap on her thigh or back would deter her. So he showed us pictures of all the other gross hostels that were there in Edinburgh. And he said, you can come to mine. And he showed us good pictures. And so she was very determined. And I said, I need to use the restroom. Don't make any major decision without me. My excuse was to go and pray. And there I was praying, and she bounced into the restroom saying, let's go, all our bags are in his car. And I had nothing. My passport was in my backpack. I had nothing but a few pounds in my jeans pocket. I said, you got to get it out. She's like, oh, no, he showed us great pictures. And I said, oh, my goodness. So she jumped into the car. And I said, Father God help us. Well, we were lucky. The Lord was watching over. The gentleman was legit. He brought us to his home and his wife made us food. And then he showed us into this apartment complex that he had, which had sublet a bunch of rooms to young students such as we. And he ended up becoming our tour guide for the weekend that we were there. But praise God for his protectiveness. See, see, these are the stories that we build on in our lives that builds up our confidence and our trust in our Heavenly Father. Turn with me to Genesis 22. Give me an amen when you're there in our physical Bible or in your phone Bible or on the screen. Genesis 22, anyone there yet? No? All right. Genesis 22, verse 1, now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. Then he said, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Now it says in verse 1 that God tested Abraham. Now this was not a test to produce Abraham's faith. But this was a test 
to reveal what kind of faith Abraham had. Because so many experiences had been poured into Abraham day after day, year after year. And his trust in God should have been solid. And when he called Abraham, Abraham said, here I am. Immediately, no waiting. Now, when you think of something, a story in the Bible, where in the Bible does somebody respond very quickly, here I am? Anyone know? Where, who? Samuel. Three times he presented himself quickly to Eli. Now, when God called Adam and Eve in the garden, they didn't answer, they hid. And he ended up saying, where are you? But now, here we have Abraham saying, here I am. And this is a perfect response of how we should be as sons and daughters of God, ready to be able to say, all right, Lord, what do you want me to do? But then now he says, take your son, your only son, think the son that you have prayed for, the son that you have longed for, the son that your wife laughed at when told she was pregnant with. Take the son that you have wanted and was finally born to you in your old age. Take the son whom I promised you would father nations. Take the son, your only son Isaac. Now some of you may be saying, well what about Ishmael? Well back in the previous chapter, Ishmael was put away from Abraham's house. So the only son of the covenant that God had made with Abraham that God was, was talking about was the son of the covenant, Isaac. Take your son, your only son, whom you love, and offer him there as a burnt offering. Every single command was like a knife to Abraham, your son, your only son, the one whom you love, and offer him as a burnt sacrifice. Now, this wasn't just burning the boy alive. This was the kind of sacrifice that needed the taking of a life first. Abraham needed to, needed to kill him first, and then burn him as a whole offering to God. So not one death, really, but two. You kill him, and then you watch him burn. This is what God was asking Abraham to do. Sometimes in your Christian walk, do you understand why God puts you on a walk, and then in that walk, you come across trial after trial? Sometimes the dreams he has given are crushed. Sometimes you try to take matters into your own hands to rush along the promise that God has given to you, which is what Abraham had did, had done. 
right? They were waiting too long for the promised son. And so he figured, let us help God out. And so he and Hagar had Ishmael. But did God tell him to do this? Did he? No, God was asking him at that time to rely on him and the promise. And so, in verse 3 it says, So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and he split the wood for the burnt offering. He rose early in the morning. Abraham didn't dither. He didn't stall. He had in his mind, this is what God has asked me to do. And I'm going to do it. Now, it might not have been a good night of rest for him. But he did it. And instead of using his servants to saddle the donkey or to split the wood, Abraham did this himself. This was his personal mission, command now from God. And everything that he was asked of, even in the preparation of it, he was going to do. Now it would seem strange. So as we go on, it says verse four, then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. On the third day. Where have we heard the words on the third day? Where? The resurrection. You're kind of following where I'm going here. See, the Bible repeats itself. And Abraham said to his young men, Listen here, verse 5. Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship. And I will come back to you. What does it say? We will come back to you. So then the question remains, if he was to follow God's commands and offer his son as a burnt offering, which means he's going to kill him, why is he now saying, we will come back to you? Abraham had full trust that God could do anything. See, up until that point, there were no markers, no stories of anyone being raised from the dead. But Abraham already having been on this walk with God, and now as he's traveling to this mountain, Abraham knew that God had to keep his promise with the covenant that was made. And the only way that God could keep the promise with Abraham was to let Isaac live somehow. 
So there was no doubt in his mind that he was going to follow through and kill his son, but he also trusted that God would raise him, that God would make the impossible happen. And it says here, I will go and worship. In Hebrew, shakam, I think, I hope I said that right, Pastor Mike. Okay, he's, he's nodding. I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. In Hebrew, this is the first reference of worship to God the Father. And it is not praise and adulation, but in Hebrew, this means to bow down. So Abraham and Isaac were not going to go and worship in praise and jubilation. This was a somber mission. They were going to worship and bow down. How many of you, seeing the mountain ahead of you or walking the path of your mountain, are able to bow down in worship to God? Is it easy? How can you worship when you know your marriage is falling apart? How can you worship when your child is away and addicted and doing things that you've taught them not to do? How can you worship when you've been given a diagnosis that's giving you six months to live? See, I went to Brother Fitz, I called, I visited Brother Fitz and Sister Catherine, and then I called one night when I had heard that they were having a particularly hard time. And this one particular night, I called at a time when Sister Catherine, I could hear her, he was by her bedside, and she was moaning in agony at the pain that she was in. He said, I'm sorry, Pastor Jen, they're gonna give her meds. I said, it's okay. He goes, you know what, this is what the doctor said, I know. He goes, but I will still worship. How can you worship? Or is it possible to bow down in reverence to your father on your mountain that you do not know how to climb? Is it possible to bow down and obey? Yes, it is. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, he laid it on Isaac his son, he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. So listen to this, folks. He gives Isaac the wood to carry to his own death. Isaac is carrying what's going to burn him. And then Isaac spoke to Abraham and said, Father, he said, here I am, son. He said, look, the fire and the wood are there, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Notice how twice now it has says the two of them went together. They were in agreement. I would want to know what it was that Abraham said to Isaac. By the way, son, today you're going to be the offering. Son, God has asked me to sacrifice you. 
what would you have done as the son? Now, at this time, studies show that Isaac was about 25 to 30 years of age. Abraham was 100, a little over 100, so Isaac was in better position to run, fight off, or, you know, punch his dad and just go away. But he didn't. See, he must have known something. Abraham must have passed on the trust and faith in God that he had for him to be in agreement with his father. It doesn't say here at all that neither of them hesitated for this mission. They did it in agreement. Can you come in agreement to something that God is asking you to do? Can you give up something that you have prayed for, longed for, because God said, do it. Then they came to the place of which God had told him. Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. No hesitation here. Whatever he used to bind him, he did it. And he picked up that knife and stretched out his hand, ready and willing to follow the will of God and plunge that knife. See, we talk a lot about Abraham's faith, but we can never forget Isaac's faith as well. We can never forget the trust that not only he had in his earthly father, we cannot forget the trust that he had in his heavenly father. And not only that, we cannot forget the willingness on which he was about to lay down his life. Hmm, I wonder does this sound like something to you? Does this sound like what would happen thousands of years later as God the Father would willingly give up his son, Jesus Christ, to sacrifice him for all of us? This was the perfect example and typecast that was laid out in Genesis. But, in verse 11, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, so he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hands on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God and since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Abraham lifted his eyes and looked and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. The ram was the substitute. Jesus Christ became the substitute for our sins. 
This is how much he loved. And Abraham called the name of the place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore, and your descendants shall Possess the gates of their enemies. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men and they rose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham dwelt at Beersheba. Was the covenant broken? Was it? Did God break the covenant with Abraham? No. He came through, proving and revealing how much faith Abraham had in him. When you're climbing your mountain, when you're climbing your mountain of bills stacked upon your table, and avoiding the mountain of bill collectors and robocalls that come to your phone. When you're looking at your mountain of death, of sickness, are you climbing with trust? See, we are having a health fair next weekend, and we're basing it on New Start. Nutrition, exercise, Water, sunlight, temperance, air, rest. And what is tea? What is it? Trust in God. For you can have everything all the way up to R, but if you do not have the underlying foundation within, which is trust in God, The nutrition won't help you, air won't help you, exercise won't help you, water won't help you, rest won't help you, temperance won't help you without God. So now I'm asking you, how spiritually healthy are you? Do you have the spiritual health to look at your mountain and say, God, whatever you place before me on this mountain, I can climb because I know, Lord, that you are climbing with me. A friend of mine in Washington, we used to go to her house for lunch. And there was a mountain, oh, a little bit away. You could see it right clearly right there. And the front of the mountain was a sheer cliff face. And one day I just saw, as I looked over, just little white dots on this cliff face. And I said, what is that? What are those? She goes, those are goats. And I said, but there is no, what are they climbing on? Just the rock? And she, would, and she said, you have no idea how sheer of a cliff or a mountain that goats can climb on. 
So now in preparation for this sermon, I looked it up, goats on a mountain. There was a really cool picture that I wish I could have shared, but it doesn't have the right licenses. And there were goats, literally, the cliff face is just so sheer, but the goats are standing on little crevices. And then there's another picture where I put up, um, that came up, and it was goats, or like about 11 or 12 goats on a tree, literally standing on the different branches of this one tree. Goats not falling off, balancing. And so I'm wondering, why do goats climb trees or are able to survive on cliff faces? And it, I found that goats go up on trees that can, that can provide only the nutrients that they will flourish off of. And on the mountain, on the cliff sides, they lick the rock and the soil because there are minerals in there that nothing else can get to. But they, but they prosper off of these. And so I'm thinking, I wonder, I wonder apart, apart from sureness, I wonder if there's a verse in the Bible that shows the faithfulness of goats. And you can find this stuff, Isaiah, oh, sorry, Psalm 18.33, in the Living Bible, says, he gives me the sure-footedness of a mountain goat upon the crags. He leads me safely along the tops of the cliffs. In other translations, it, it says, I'll get there quickly. He gives me the sure-footedness. He makes my feet like the feet of deer and sets me on my high places. And I realize in further research on goats that they're able to stand because they're sure in how they were made and their flexibility, they, they are sure in their abilities. And this points to how we can be sure in the Father who made us. That on our mountains, on our cliff sides, we can balance knowing who holds us. But what happens when the mountain that you're on, and even given to you by God, begins to crumble? I've told you about my demon journey, doctor of ministry journey, and I'll tell you a little bit more. See, it was Pastor Joe, the year after I got here, that told me, hey, Jen, you should go for this. And I told him, Pastor, I just finished school. Do I really want to go back into school? And he kept on me. Jen, I really think that you should do this. He even had a three-hour conversation with me one year after, saying, you are a young woman in ministry, and learning along this line will enable you 
to help others in your ministry. You have the opportunity now. Take it. And, you know, really, I just didn't want to take it because I just did not want to go right back into studying so soon. But I said, all right, God. Um, if you open the door, I will do it. And then people from other places in the States would call me the six months following. So this was the summer of 2019 after he had a long talk with me. And people were calling, hey, who, who I never said anything about the possibility of schooling. Hey, have you ever thought about the D-men? See, God sometimes uses people to point you in a direction. And so I contacted the D-men office. And sure enough, I knew. They said, you know what? You just started ministry. You don't meet the qualifications just yet. And I thought, hallelujah. Okay, I don't have to go to school. Thank you, Jesus. But then the secretary convinced me to just apply, just, just apply. Well, if I don't meet the qualifications, why am I applying? Oh, just so that we have you on file. Okay. Two days after the application was due, I sent it in. And then a, few, a couple weeks after that, I received a letter saying, congratulations, you have been accepted into the demon program. And I thought, no. Okay, God, if this is what you want me to do, I will do this wholeheartedly. And so I knew that I was at the bottom of the totem pole and knew in ministry that I would most likely have to pay for this on my own. And so I went and tried to find some sponsors, and I did. The only thing that was lacking was money for books and um, what, what flights back and forth. And so I went to the conference, I said, hey, they'd already, they'd already heard about this demon request and they had already said no. But then I said, hey, I've received, you know, possible help for my scholarship. Therefore, could you take care of just the books and transportation? And the response was, Pastor Jennifer, we've actually been talking about fully enrolling you, and we'd like to, but just hold on just for a little bit more. And the week after, I got the call saying, we have decided to sponsor your journey, meaning I don't have to pay for it. Praise God, yes. And so began the journey of studying and reading and reading some more and constantly reading. And then last year happened. While I was still in school, circumstance after circumstance after circumstance, and then tragedy started happening. The deaths in my, ham in my family started happening. Armando being hospitalized began. COVID began with the boys. And once the death started happening on into January when dad died, you know, honestly, everything I turned in was subpar. And I just did not have the strength to write. And I remember telling you all that I didn't know if they were going to let me through. 
And in January, the question became, as I explained everything to my advisors, right after dad died, they said, well, are you, continue, are you going to continue letting your family take over your studies? Surprising question. But I said, well, my father's dead, so I don't think that will happen anymore. And right after we hung up the phone, Armando was in the hospital. But we were able to work out something. We were able to work out something in which I would possibly move into a different cohort. And in May, you all heard that I ran back to Hawaii when my mother fell. When I came back, I had to go straight to the conference for some training, and then into, right into a weekend where I would be speaking in Seattle for a women's ministries event. And upon driving home from the conference, in which the next day I would take a flight, I received a call from my professor saying, hey, you're in danger of being dropped because XYZ has not been turned in. You have until midnight. This was six o'clock in the evening and I was still in Orlando driving down. And then he said, you know what? I'm gonna drop you because it's clear that you can't handle. I pulled over, and then, my, and then my phone, right in the middle of the conversation, my phone dropped, ran out of battery. I ran sobbing into a service station. I plugged myself up against a wall. So imagine your pastor wrecked with tears on her face, up against a wall, sitting on a floor next to a phone and begging for a chance. And I begged that professor, and that professor said, yeah, with your work, it's subpar. No, except the F. And I said, F is failure. He said, no, F is freedom. And I said, no, F is failure. He goes, and I'm sorry then, you failed. And I drove home crying and then I realized, hold up, this is not over until God says it's over. And so I called him back up and I said, Professor, if I can get this stuff done, can it happen? He's like, uh, good luck, you have till midnight. And then I turned in what I could, right, 11.55. And he was on his phone and he said, I think you're good now. Excellent. Hey, yeah, amen. And then the next day, as I'm here finishing st stuff at church and about ready to fly off to Seattle, I get a text saying, Pastor Jennifer, you are off by 175 points. This needs to be turned in in three hours. This is a, it was a list of different assignments. And I said, you kidding me? He says, I'm sorry. And I said, God will make a miracle happen. He says, yeah, how are you gonna do that? I said, I am gonna type on the plane. He goes, okay, you're gonna travel to Seattle. 
when you get off, what time are you getting off? I said, 11.30. He said, right, when you get out into the gate, you have just enough time to send it off. All right. So now on my last leg of the plane, I am typing furiously. And then my computer dies. And the person sitting next to me, because I yelled out, I'm at the back of the plane, I yelled out, no! And he's like, you okay? I'm like, I don't know. He goes, find an outlet. So we call the stewardess. They're like, yeah, the outlet is in business class. You're, you're in economy. And I sobbed the rest of the way into Seattle. Because that last big assignment wasn't done. And I got, I got there, I prayed, and I sent off what I had. Explaining what had happened on the plane. Got into the hotel. The next morning opened up an email to the whole class saying, congratulations, you all passed. And I'm like, hallelujah, amen. Two hours later before checkout, I got a separate email saying, sorry, Pastor Jennifer, you didn't make it. Listen, my emotions are all over the place now. And I'm traveling to speak. My organizers are picking me up. And I have to speak to these women face to face in four hours. And how am I supposed to deliver the word of God while having the dream killed inside me. So someone tried to, one of my brothers who, who was the wife of one of the organizers tried to pump into me. Didn't quite work, but I pasted on a smile. And that weekend was beautiful and God said, I want you to preach about this. And I said, no, because I have not accepted that I've lost it yet. And he said, preach about it. So my very last sermon, I stood there and told them what had just happened to me. And I said, I don't know. I don't believe God is, God is, is done yet. But I'm going to pray. And then one by one, as I sat down, the ladies rallied around me and said, do you know when you came five years ago, before you, we knew you as pastor or doctor, you changed my life. You changed my life. This is what you said and this is what happened to me before you were a pastor or a doctor. This is what you said to me and I sat there and I cried because they said, it doesn't matter what degree you hold in your hand, the fact that you are proclaiming God is what matters. We have seen God move mountains in your life and we're gonna see him move more, but you must you know, accept the will of God. And so began my journey back and forth, writing letters appealing, May through June and July. What is the mountaintop experience? See, a lot of people say, when you have a mountaintop experience, it's when you reach the top of a mountain when you've scaled that mountain and you're standing at the top and you're saying, God, be praised for all that you have done. That's what people believe is a mountaintop experience. I had a mountaintop experience on the first Sabbath of July when I was ordained. 
and affirmed and confirmed in my ministry. And I'll tell you, I lived off of the feelings of that for two weeks. Three weeks. I'm still rewinding the video and watching. But you can only be on the mountaintop for so long before you have to go back down into the valley. The mountaintop experience will carry you until your next valley calls you to bow down and worship. Until two weeks ago, or last week, I can't remember, it's blurring, I received a final letter saying, I am so sorry. We're dropping you for now. You can pick it up again later. And I cried because I remember the letter that came before that telling them of what had happened or repeating what had happened, giving them a plan of what I was going to do now, telling them what it was that I was working out for my mother, what it was that I'm working out for Armando, and saying, don't let this, don't take this dream too, because I've lost so much already. But came the letter. What happens? How do you face the mountain that you feel when God has put you on a path and suddenly he's changing it? How do you say, your will be done, Lord? Because I felt like I, like Abraham, putting my dream of education, the one that I didn't want in the first place, but that God had worked on me to want. Putting my dream of education and the hours that I had put in on reading and writing and allowing it to be killed because knowing I had focused on my family. I cried. Because I felt that God had just taken a knife and killed the one thing he gave me. And then, in preparing for this and thinking about the mountain, I began looking for the ram in the thicket because Pastor Rose had had a talk with Pastor Kevin and I and he rolled out all the new responsibilities and I looked at the ram in the thicket and I saw freedom. Freedom to focus on my first family that God gave me Freedom to focus on my children and my husband. And freedom to now take on the new roles that have passed on to me. And I said, God, if this is what you're doing, I lay it down. And I know that you're on this mountain with me. Because even if you are stopping this dream for right now, it doesn't mean it's stopping forever. You might open up a way later on. And I told my mother, she said, this is not failure. This is freedom to work in the capacity 
that God has now given to you. And so now let me fast forward to just 30 minutes ago as I sat there before Sister Angela, Elder Angela came up to pray. And I was praying on my own because I never said this story in the first service. Why? Because I know that you all are praying for me, and guess what? I didn't want to appear a failure. But I knew God wanted me to say it. But I switched my story and I spoke about something else instead in the first service. But God said, you know what, I'm going to use that because someone came up to me and said, I needed to hear that today, can you pray with me and my family? And now God was saying, go tell what happened because your church family is going to ask you how's school going and what are you going to say? I don't know. And so I sat there and Armando came and said, what? And Pastor Kevin had already prayed for me. He goes, why are you sitting here? And I said, I'm struggling with what God is telling me to do. He goes, what's he telling you to do? He said, he's telling me to tell the church this. He goes, so why are you hesitating? He said, because I can't. He says, you can't or you can't let go of your anger. And so I sat there and broke down and cried and asked God to take away any bitterness or anger that was left in me and to free me to tell about his goodness. Because in our mountains, there might be a different mountain that we are climbing, but if we trust in God, he will keep us from straying. If we trust in God, he will keep our trust and open up other avenues that we had never considered before. God will take our offering and glorify it for his glory. So if you are walking on your mountain today of, whoa, bitterness like I was, of anger like I had to let go of, or if you're walking your mountain of uncertainty, of sickness, God as it says in the Bible, will provide. He will provide another way for you. And it might not be a way that you would have thought of, but it's a way that will make you better, make you a better servant for him. Embrace the mountain. For you can have a mountaintop experience with God in ways that you will never know until later. You can find God on the mountain, you can find him in the valley, you can find him in the desert, but God will always be there for you. If you are sitting right now saying, Lord, I, <laughs> I don't know how to deal with this mountain of debt. Lord, I don't know how to deal with this mountain of a crumbling marriage. Lord, I don't know how to deal with this mountain of sickness. 
God is saying, find me, come and find me in your mountain because I will show you as I have showed you from days past how I will provide for you. If you want to know God, learn how to do this. If you want to learn more, now's the time. Text to 954-388-8780 saying, I want to know more. Maybe you want to get baptized. God's waiting and time is running short. Embrace the mountain he has asked you to travel because he will bring you over it. Amen. I'm inviting us all to stand as we sing about how he'll do it again. He's a faithful God. Amen. I said he's a faithful God. Amen. Has he done it before? Will he not do it again for you? So I just invite everyone all over this place to just join in right now and sing. Walking around these walls, I thought by now they'd fall, but you have never failed me yet. Mm-hmm. Waiting for change to come. Sing. Waiting for change to come. Knowing the battle's won. Knowing the I know the night won't last, say. I know the night won't last. Your word will come. Your word will come to pass. My heart will My heart will see your praise again.
take this part home with you today that God is a God who will move your mountains out of the way and not only that he'll make those mountains the exact thing that was keeping you from your blessing the very thing that is going to be the welcoming into your blessing God is a good God so let's say this say I see you move today. There's someone here who needs to see perhaps not the mountain being moved, but for God to make a way up the mountain. And so I invite you here, right here with me to petition this before God. You don't have to tell me what the mountain is, but if you're asking right now, for God to move it or help you through it, join me. God is saying, I know the mountain you're climbing and don't forget that I'm climbing with you. 
God is saying, it doesn't matter what dreams have died. There's so much more I can resurrect. And if I'm pausing you for a second now, I'm going to make a way for you soon. So just hold on, my child. Hold on to my goodness. Is there anyone else who would like to join us here in prayer? Father God, you see your children, Lord. The ones who have bravely come forth and said, God, I need a miracle. And Lord, there are those standing who are still crying out, make a miracle happen for me too. Father God, you are creator, deliverer, giver, and take it, one who takes away when you see it's not going to benefit us with you. And Father One, I ask for strength to endure. I ask for peace to invade our hearts, Father. I ask for steadfastness on you, our rock. As we tell you, we are not going to waver and we will still worship and bow down because you are Abba Father Daddy. And because I ask this Lord in your name, Father, we know that you will make a way. If you're not gonna move the mountain, you're gonna make a way for us to climb up it or through it. And we know God, that the plans that you have for us, Father, are never to harm us, but to prosper us in your name, God. Let us take this promise in whatever mountain we are on now or whatever mountain we are to embark, climbing it with you and embracing you for a new mountaintop experience with you. In your name, amen. This podcast was brought to you by Plantation Seventh-day Adventist Church, a Christ-centered congregation dedicated to spreading the good news of God's love through sermons, deeper dive conversations, and much more. If you would like to listen to more life lessons and inspirational content, please visit us at plantationsda.tv.